1: Winter has arrived here in Nashville, and we are experiencing our first sustained below-freezing weather this year. And you don't need me to tell you this. It's cold outside, painfully and dangerously cold, with highs below 20 degrees. Now listen, when the temperature drops like this and it's below freezing, there are some things that we all need to keep in mind to keep ourselves, our neighbors, and our animals, also our homes, safe. You got to prepare for things. You got to prepare for a potential power outage. We have to make sure that you have your medicines available and they're ready to go if you have to leave. You have to always have a flashlight available. So take that time. Check right now if you are at home, if you have a flashlight available, if it's USB, something new and charged, or if you have batteries around. Then there's water. For outside spigots, you want to detach hoses and cover them up with warm weather cover to keep water from freezing and bursting the faucet. For inside your home, you have to keep in mind pipes run along unheated or uninsulated interior areas like basements, crawl spaces, attics, or garages. You have to keep them running. Trust me, I've been through this before, living in different cities when it got equally cold. Pipes bursting now is an inconvenient You don't want to have. So drip, drip, drip on every faucet inside of the house over the next couple days, okay? All right, good. And these are just some simple things you can do. You keep your garage door closed. Open up the kitchen and bathroom. You open up those cabinet doors to allow warmer air to reach the plumbing and pipes. Keep your thermostat set to the same temperature during the day and night. Maintain a steady temperature. It's so important, y'all. It's dangerously cold, so we're doing this because we care about you. If you're leaving your home, keep your heat on at your home and set above 55 degrees. Now, I mentioned the faucets earlier. If you do turn on a faucet and only a trickle comes out, suspect a frozen pipe. Know where to shut off the water in your house. The water valve might be outside of your house, so be very, very careful when you get there. Report any burst of water mains or pipes to Metro Water Services. It's so important. Look, y'all, it's cold outside, and it's dangerous for a lot of people. So you want to check on your neighbors. You have to make sure that your neighbors are safe, right? Keep in mind that schools are closed, so family and kids who rely on meals from schools might need some additional help. When I say be good to each other, this is exactly what I mean. We're all in this together, so help where you can. Meals on Wheels is working to deliver additional snow meals to seniors and homebound individuals. If you can, consider donating to them and help them carry out this really important service. And even if someone doesn't need meals delivered normally, consider checking in on anyone who can't drive in difficult conditions, or if they're too scared to go out and drive in the snow. If you have a neighbor who's elderly, if you have a senior neighbor, someone who lives alone, check on them, reach out, knock on the door if you can, Call them, text them, email, send an Instagram message. Who cares? But check on them to make sure that they're okay. Because reaching out can be all the difference in the world, and we know it can make a big difference. Now, for the unhoused community, the city has overflow shelters that open in freezing temperatures. Those include the Nashville Rescue Mission, Room in the Inn, Metro's Extreme Cold Weather Overflow Shelter, WeGo is providing free bus passes to shelters. You can always text Nashville Winter, one word, to 84483 to find out more information. Again, the areas that the city is taking care of for overflow shelters that are open during these freezing temperatures are Nashville Rescue Mission, Room in the Inn, Metro's Cold Weather Overflow Shelter. Text Nashville Winter, it's all one word. 84483 to find more information. And finally, keep your animals in mind. Check on the animals that live outside. They need warmth and they need water. And if you can bring them in, bring them in, if only to your garage or a shelter. You've heard me talk about my cats many times on this show. They love going outside, they are not going outside while we're in this cold snap. Check on the water sources. Outside bowls and troughs can freeze, so make sure that they're good. We've gotten through cold weather before, and I know we're going to get through this too. But you have to keep each other in mind and keep each other safe. We've got this, Nashville. Be good to each other. That's what I mean when I say be good to each other. Now, for the rest of the episode, we'll be listening back to our previous coverage on how unhoused neighbors cope with severely cold weather. So stay tuned, okay? Nashville, I know you got this. Stay warm and be safe. We'll be right back. Khalil e. And this is Nashville. Welcome back, y'all. Now, there are well over 100 campsites in Davidson County where unhoused people live year-round. As you can imagine, winter is one of the most challenging seasons. As a part of her work with Sacred Sparks Ministry, Reverend Lisa Cook supports those with low incomes and those living without houses. Now, unfortunately, the ministry recently lost their laundry facilities due to the recent December tornado, back in March of 2022. Now senior producer Tasha A.F. Limley, she tagged along with Lisa when she headed out to a campsite in Davidson County in preparation for one of those cold days. So let's listen back to how that went.
2: Today, I'm visiting a campsite in East Nashville and running out in front of people on the road. And I am delivering propane to a friend of mine. She lives in a tent uh in a campsite and she is someone who will not go into shelters so she uses this propane with heaters uh, to stay warm when it's really cold outside for lisa cook
0: this is really just another day as a street chaplain she provides essential food resources and laundry service to folks living in extreme poverty
2: and all of those three things all three of those are done under the umbrella of pastoral care and relationships, which is what this ministry is really founded on.
0: Now, Lisa, she's a second career minister. Her relationship to homelessness was a little different when she worked in the corporate world.
2: And this was before uh, downtown had been revitalized. There was not much down there except the spaghetti factory. And I would have to walk from my building on Second Avenue down past Broadway and that was my first experience in realizing that there were people. I would be getting off like at midnight and there were people outside. And you know, the only people outside then, it was not a party town then, were the people who lived there.
0: Did you ever talk to them?
2: No, I was scared of them. And they left you alone? They left me alone. And yeah. you left them alone? And I left them alone. <laughs> now you're making up for lost time. <laughs> now I'm making up for lost time, yeah. Yeah, but that was my first, uh, my first realization that that was a thing.
0: We get to her friend Angie Basham's spot at the end of a dead-end
2: road. All right. Let me tell her we're here. We are at the guardrail. Lisa
0: walks around the van, opens the side and supplies fall out. Uh-oh. Then she pulls out a large propane tank. Oh,
2: here we go. These things are a lot um, lighter when they're empty. Hey! Thought I'd save you some steps. (laughs) Hey, Angie, this is my friend, Tasha. Hello, Nice to meet you. (laughs) Thank (laughs)
0: you.
2: So how long did that tank last you?
3: You know, I tried to time it, but I've used it so much because it's been so cold. But I want to say at
0: least three to four days. Uh, But yeah, it's it's way better than the little green ones. Lisa invites Angie to laundry day, and she jumps at the chance to get everything clean before moving to a new tent. It's red and brown, and on a little bit of an incline, which is going to help in the rain. I ask Angie what her advice is for other people who, like her, are trying to stay as warm as possible when the temperatures drop.
3: Okay, well, the first thing, on a tent, because a lot of them are just a three-season, I take flat bed sheets and safety pin them across the roof. On the inside and out, it acts as a, a... insulation yeah um it's because the roofs are netting and then you got the canopy that goes over it if you take the bed sheets and safety pin them you got a barrier you don't have just a straight netting and it blocks the air i know and believe it or not it it makes the huge difference
0: you got to adapt to your surroundings we say goodbye and head back to the van
2: all right i'll see you tomorrow okay thank you my dear love you all right love you thanks Uh uh-huh
1: We're going to hear now from a few others who have first-hand experience, like Angie, navigating through the cold without a home. Joining us are Vicki Batcher, Terry Warren, and Alex Smith. Welcome all to This is Nashville. Thank you. Um, thank you. One- thank you
3: for having
1: me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you all on. First of all, I want to acknowledge that each of you have experienced some incredibly difficult times and tough times. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your time with us. Terry, I would like to start with you. You were unhoused through this past winter, is that right? Oh, that's correct. Can you tell me about your experience?
4: Well, let's see, my, my daughter got frostbitten, and we had to call an ambulance and take her to the hospital. And uh, they did what they could for. See, I used to be a certified nurse tech myself, so I knew a little bit more that could be done for them. What they were doing. Hmm. Well, when we got back to the tent, because we stayed at the Jefferson tent, the Jefferson Street uh, in encampment, when we got back, Salvation Army Miss Tiffany uh, contacted me and said that they were coming down there to get us out of there that day and put us in the shelter. And then the next day, we'd going we're going into housing. And everything happened, just like she said, and now we're still uh, uh, in temporary housing. And I really thank Miss Tiffany, I also thank Miss India, because without them two, none of this would be happening for us. These people are really out here in the organizations trying to help the homeless and get housing for us and things that we need so that we can eventually get to permanent housing. I do have to add one more thing to that, though. Yes. As I tell people all the time, the solution to that is to first get the people that really need help off of their drugs. They, they need counselors, somebody to get in there and actually work with them. And get, because if they don't, when you move them to, to housing, guess what? You're moving the drugs right along with them. Mm. So my advice is take care of that person. Then try to get the people what they need.
1: Now, your daughter, what is her condition now?
4: Uh, I've been soaking it in Epsom salt. Her color's coming back into her feet because they were black. But uh, her her big toes, one of her big toes is back to normal. The other three on the other side, on the on the right hand, I mean the left-hand side, they're still slowly coming back, getting their color back. Well, I think she's going to probably need about six more treatments before she'll be having the full use of her toe again. How old is she? She's 31 years old. Okay. Mentally challenged.
1: Mm. Okay. Vicki, share some of your experience with me. When you were unhoused, what did you do when the weather got cold?
3: When the weather got cold, it was just kind of knowing um, street smarts. listening to other people, learning what would work for us. Um, It was myself, my son, and my ESA dog, Faith, um, which she helped a lot keep us warm. But the cold weather shelters never worked for us. Um, The regular shelters never worked for us. We'd use blankets. Um, We had lived in an RV uh, when the temperature went down to two degrees. That was... Numbing that mm. that was so real and humbling to go through. Um, lots of blankets, faith being next to me, my son in the RV because we had no heat. It was a uh, basically a metal shelter, mm. and he was up in the bunkhouse. We lived in a Class C, and he built a tent and had covers all over him. We managed to to stay, you know, without any medical conditions because of that. But it was a learning process, um, and then later which this other gentleman was just talking about, we learned about propane heat. Um, We had a propane tank in the RV, but it wasn't working properly. Wow. So we learned about these little buddy heaters and the propane. And yes, the single ones only last a couple of hours, but those big tanks did last us like three, anywhere between three and five days. So we were fortunate there. We had lived in a car at, at the first part of our homelessness and that night and it was a late November that the temperature went down and I couldn't feel my toes. And my minister called and he said, "Vicky, you ready to come in? And it's like, yes, yes. So we went to the church and they let us live in a youth room at mm-hmm. our local church. Uh, which was wonderful. Um, and we started getting good jobs. We got on our feet. We could only afford um, a hotel. And that was where the, the feet started thawing out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but just using what you what you learn from other people.
1: Now, Vicki, you mentioned this a little bit. And I think it's fair to say that some people listening would say, you know, people can just go to shelters when it gets cold. But it's really not that simple and easy, right?
3: It isn't. Um, when we first became homeless, my kids were working uh, second shift in, mm-hmm. at uh, in Hermitage. So there was the consensus of my kids would have to quit the job, stand in line, when the shelter would open for them to get a bed, which made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So that was a barrier. Um, With the cold weather shelters that I've been on the task force with, we're starting to limit those barriers to where it would have been a safe place now for us to go into. Thankfully, we're not homeless anymore.
1: Now, Terry, tell me what misconceptions about shelter does the public have that
4: really Need to be corrected. I think the most big biggest misconception is the treatment of uh, how they treat the people. Uh, they they're they under the impression that all uh, the shelters are good. They'll take good care of you, but you know, it's a difference between being treated like a human and being treated like some kind of piece of trash that you pick up on the street. Mm-hmm. I know this from firsthand because I used to work at the uh, the shelter downtown. Uh the men's shelter downtown, I was one of the supervisors there, and uh they virtually got on me because the temperature had to be a certain degree before we could open up the the chapel and let the people in out the cold with well, me being hard headed I couldn't see them suffer like that, so after I kept letting them in, they finally got rid of me but to me that was that was the humane thing to do
1: that and that is absolutely the humane thing to do. If you're just tuning in, I'm Khalil Colona and you're listening to This is Nashville. I'm visiting with some of our neighbors who have personal experience living through winters without, a house, without houses or shelters. Alex Smith, I want to turn to you. You were unhoused, but now you're actually an outreach worker. What are some of the things that helped you survive when the temperatures dropped?
5: Um, some of the things... It's like what Vicki said, when you get around the older generation, they inform you on exactly what to do, what places to go to get warm, uh, what heat vents, how to properly imply your tent with sheets and bedspreads and how to properly uh, make a fire that lasts all night long. Mm-hmm. Um, I really learned a lot from the older generation that was already there. Because when I was first on the street, I was 18 years old and I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. So they really kind of navigated my way through the winter. And then also being willing to trust the nonprofits when they will have shelters and be like, hey, we will be here at this particular time Tell your people, and you know, you you, you got to inform everybody. Everybody got to be on one accord. But it was really uh, hard for me to like realize that some people wouldn't be able to come to the shelters, or they just don't want to come to the shelters.
1: What was difficult for you in in that recognition?
5: Well, it, it was more or less of the mentality. What do you mean? Well, the missions have a bad, bad reputation. And for the homeless community, once you say shelter, the first thing that they think about is the missions, which is not true now. There's overflow shelters, there's uh, so many different nonprofits that's opening up churches and opening up buildings so people can actually get in nowadays. But when I was homeless, it was mostly, hey, there's a shelter open, but you know, it's either the mission or you go to this church that's on kind of the outskirts of town and you gotta be there at three o'clock to catch the bus or catch the van. And a lot of the older generation that I kind of hung around and look up to, they would never go. And it was heartbreaking, especially when I know it was cold and I know it was snowing. And like, they shouldn't be out there, but their mind was so misconstrued and hurt so much that they would never choose to use a shelter.
1: So the traumas from their experiences in the past have totally, it's made them not even consider going to a shelter, even those who may be doing the right thing and truly there to help people
5: absolutely and it's still going on today like that stigma has never left now there might be some new rules changes at the men's mission and the women's mission hey more power to you but they still hasn't changed from the past 15 20 25 years of negativity that it has brought it hurt more than it does help So I understand why people, when it gets cold, they're like, I'm never going to a shelter because you can't be yourself.
1: Vicky, I want to ask you this. Like, you know, what do you think the city needs to do? You have personal experience. You all do. What does the city need to do to better serve the community? Like, what would it do? What would it take to earn your trust that this trust that Alex is talking about has been absent for so long?
3: Remove all barriers. And I think that's what the cold weather shelter has done this year. I think it started when they were at the fairgrounds. Um, I think it was a completely different thing, but they need to, to revamp the system. It's not working. And one of the reasons why is because of these old stigmas that Alex spoken about. The people we talk to out in the outskirts of hermitage and such never, never go to a shelter. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. Um, but the thing is, um, have the shelters that people can access no matter what the temperature, then start getting these um what do they call them, those little mobile units, and get these encampments closed and put them in here. It's shelter, it's electricity, it's your own place. It can clean out the cobwebs until we get more affordable housing. We can afford, we can do more affordable housing. It's just working with what you've got, building on what works, trying new things, and we're not. We seem to be stuck in this thing. Well, this is what this city did. This is what this city did. Um, and, and it may not work for Nashville. Nashville is unique. Our homeless are unique. Stop looking at other cities and putting all your eggs in one basket hmm. to work um, uh, Stop putting all your eggs in one basket and hoping that works. Try different things. Spend little amounts of money on this, on plan A, plan B, plan C, and then go for what works. Then put all your eggs in one basket and and work for what works. We know affordable housing is going to do it. We know that's going to end homelessness, but we refuse to put the money into it. The state, the county has property that we that MDHA could build on for true affordable housing, mm-hmm. not the income restricted ones, but the 30% of your total income sets your rent. It's
1: It sounds like to me that the city would benefit from actually going out into the community and asking you all what you need, asking you all what your fears and trepidations are and asking you What actually worked. Terry let me let me ask you like in your experience what do you think it would take for the city to earn your trust?
4: I would think for them to earn my trust would be to take some of that advice that I've been given. I've been on Channel 5 and a couple of others I was the official spokesman for the Jefferson Street encampment and as I stated then and I still state now there's only two reasons why people are, are in the condition of being homeless as, as they are. And that is, one, because they want to do their drugs and they know they can't do that in, in these uh, places that they take them for shelter. And then there's two, they got the good people that just can't do no better and they need actual, ca- either way it boils down to actual counseling. Mm. They need the people to first get in there and help these people, get uh, get their mind together, get them in the right place where they need to be, then they can go ahead and start getting them into housing. Because if you move them straight into housing and they still got their problem, guess what? All you're doing is moving the problem.
1: Mm. A question for all three of you to answer. Who do you have more faith in, in terms of actual effective help, the city or nonprofit organizations? Vicki?
3: Neither. Myself. I did it myself. Um, I put my street smarts along with what I knew uh, with computers, and I did it myself. I didn't rely on a nonprofit. The first time we ever saw a uh, uh, a caseworker, she told my kids, you both need to get a job. And it was like, no, that's not going to work either. So that ended that. Um, we just we every person is unique you know and i don't agree with the with the going out of um of just allowing people at affordable housing who have who don't have drug problems and such it's not until you move into affordable housing that the cobwebs start cleaning up out of your head because it takes a while. And, and to have somebody on the streets just because they've made bad choices is not. I was homeless because I was evicted after eviction, after eviction, no drugs plate. So let's stop saying all homeless people are drug are, are addicts and alcoholics because there's a lot of addicts and alcoholics out there that aren't homeless.
1: I mean, we need to correct that misinformation and that misunderstanding that the public yes. has had for unfortunately generations. Um, Terry, how, how, who do you have more faith in for, for uh, providing actual like to help?
4: Add on, please. That the statement that I made was that there's two problems: you got the people that are on the drugs, then you got the people that are not. I wanted to clear that up because, look, I was homeless and I wasn't on no drugs, so it, I surely didn't mean that to sound like. All the people that are homeless is on drugs. And I'd also like to add that, once again, the, the solution to me is the nonprofits and uh, the other organizations helping because that's who helped us. Mm. Without them, we, I'd probably still be out there.
1: Now, Alex, you are an outreach worker. In your experience, what strategies actually work?
5: See, i <laughs> it, it's very difficult for me to answer this, this particular question because, in fact, I can see both sides of the coin. Hmm. And here's the thing. When I was homeless from 18 to 28, I didn't trust no one. No pro- nonprofits, no... I didn't even know what a nonprofit was. hmm but I didn't trust nobody from the city either. But as time went on, and these new nonprofits start to come, they was my friends, they was my allies, they helped me out. So it's the youth that is moving, it's the new crop of that's not about old money only way that Nashville can truly move forward if we get oldness to be removed. The old ways, the old stigma, the old money, the old thoughts, that has to be removed. There's a new age, there's a new time frame. We are doing the work to continue to move forward, but we're constantly backtracking four or five times because there's someone with more money that has no idea, choosing to make the decisions when they have absolutely no right to make the decisions. Seriously. Personally, I'm <laughs> a nonprofit. I'm now a non like Open Tables, The Joshua Project, People Loving Nashville, those people 1000%, trust them. Because they have gained the trust of the homeless people that's on the street. They have been there where they can give them a phone call at any given time. Any given time. Vicky, I want to... Unlike that nine to five.
1: Vicki, I, I want to give the final word to you. What do you think... What do you want people to know about being unhoused? What do you want them to get out of this show? Got about a minute left.
3: I want people to know that don't be afraid of the homeless. Um, help them. Um, show compassion. You know, you see a street vendor, they're trying. You see somebody pulling a, a cart, they're trying. Help them. Get them off the streets, get more affordable housing.
1: I want to thank you all for coming on to the show. Really and truly appreciate it. That's Vicki Batcher, Terry Warren. Alex Smith, hang with us through the break. When we come back, we'll take a closer look at what the city is doing to assist people who are unhoused, not just during winter, but year round. More in a moment, this is Nashville. Colona. And this is Nashville. In 2021, when temperatures dropped below freezing in November, the city rolled out a brand new strategy to help the unhoused through the coldest conditions. Metro Social Services started offering free rides to a new cold weather overflow shelter on Brick Church Pike. Riding the bus one night from downtown was Gary Baloch. He was grateful to be getting out of the cold. He said, especially because he knows not everyone has been so lucky. We're going to listen back to Gary and a conversation we had for resources for unhoused people.
4: Well, it's a blessing that they have this thing like this you know, here. Oh, that man. One of my uh, friends, when I was staying at the uh, Mission, literally died up under the bridge. Froze to death. Ugh.
1: Wow. Froze to death. Local advocates for people experiencing homelessness have been working to prevent things like that. And joining us now are two who've helped implement this new bus and shelter system this past winter. Brian Haley is the Director of the Neighborhood Health and Kathy Jennings is Director and Shelter Committee Chair at The Contributor, Nashville's bi-weekly street newspaper. Kathy and Brian, welcome to you both. Hello. Thank you. Alex Smith is an outreach worker who's still on the line with us. Alex, welcome back. Hey. (laughs) Brian, first of all, I want to apologize for mispronouncing your name. It's Brian Hale, not Haley. I apologize for that. That happens to me all the time. And as someone who does have that happen to him, my deepest apologies. Um, Oh, good. Yes. But I want to start with you. You were a big reason the city implemented this new bus and shelter program this past winter. How did it go?
6: Well, I think the, the, the key part to this is the people that we serve were the big reason that we did this. And most of the credit really goes to all of the staff at Metro who made this work. And it took a lot of effort. Everything from the people in the procurement office and the budget office, folks who were working on the front line to figure out how to pull this, um, pull this whole operation together. And then our partners at WEGO who worked so closely with us to make this successful. It's just been such an incredible team effort, and I think everybody, there are so many unsung heroes in this process, and we really should be proud that a city like Nashville has public servants like that who are willing to really, really go all the way out and try to make, make this the best experience possible. And we've come so far in the last three years. I mean, we're in a much better trauma-informed shelter space. We've got a brand new transportation system. And as we're working out the kinks, we've got big plans for what's happening next. So I've I've never been more excited about what we're doing and what we're most importantly, what we're doing together for the for those who really need this shelter. Kathy, I know you were involved with this, too. And so I'm curious. Yes,
1: yes. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think worked and what did it?
7: So Nashville is getting bigger geographically, and so having that transportation plan so outreach workers weren't shuttling back and forth to the shelter helped a lot. We had a hub-and-spoke plan, so people could go from downtown for free on the bus to the shelter, or there were rides that picked people up at various locations around town. Um, The Brick Church facility is a new facility. We hope that that will be a permanent facility. Um, it It has worked because it's just a good location and it's set up well.
1: So right now the temperature has to be 28 degrees for the emergency shelter to open. Question I have Mm -hmm. is why that temperature? Because you know, 30 some degrees is pretty cold.
7: You know, historically this has been such a point of contention between nonprofits and Metro. Um, Originally the idea was that people would not come in out of camps at um, 32 degrees, right? Because you leave everything you own Mm -hmm. when you come into shelter. But that's that's not true anymore. We are filling our shelter. In fact, this year, for instance, our numbers um, between all the nonprofits and Metro, and I think that that needs to be said, the mission, the National Rescue Mission houses the bulk of people in their shelter program. They right now they're doing 600 plus room in the inn in their program, 150 to 200 a night. So Metro Shelter only opens as an overflow shelter in these emergency conditions. Um, We have passed um, a resolution in the Shelter Committee of the Continuum of Care, and the Continuum of Care is is the organizations, the nonprofit organizations and individuals in Nashville looking to end homelessness, to ask the city to raise that to 32 degrees. Neighboring, I don't know of any other city that has it as low as 28, and I've looked. Um, so 32 degrees should be the benchmark for that to open. And we've asked Metro to
1: do that. You know, our last guest, Terry, he mentioned that he actually got fired from a shelter for letting people in at temperatures mm-hmm. higher than 28. That seems very, very problematic. What can be done about that? What What type of pressure can we put on the city to change this policy?
7: Well, you know, this year, there was a lot of funding out there. And so the city had art funding. And um, we, as a committee... And I, I believe Brian actually helped draft this. Um, it was we had a task force committee for COVID and homelessness, and they kind of ended up meshing a little bit with the shelter committee, asked for extra funds and we received them and they came through Metro Social Services. And so the funds would be to open that shelter on other emergency extreme weather nights today, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Today would be a day that possibly when there's flooding or um, at the very least of 32 degrees. As I understand it, and I I get this because everyone's having this issue, it is a staffing problem. Right now, Metro Social Services staffs that extreme overflow shelter. I mean, they staff it. And um, this year when it got full, Salvation Army actually ended up opening an overflow overflow shelter. So one night we had 250 in the Metro shelter and 150 at the Salvation Army. And these are all staffed right now by people that work during the day, also. Uh, we've also had a record number of cold nights this year. We're already at 32 cold nights. Last year, we had uh, 22 the whole season, meaning till the end of April, I mean, to the end of March. And um, the year before, we only had 19. So it's more of a staffing and um, I have lots of ideas about that, but I'll wait till you ask me.
1: (laughs) I'm definitely going to ask you about that, but I want to flip this staffing question to Brian. You know, Terry, in our previous segment, mentioned that the staff at some of these facilities aren't necessarily, let me say, have their hearts into their jobs. So is it about just getting bodies to fill these staffing positions so the shelters can be open, or is it about the particular type of person who is coming on to these positions understanding that they have to have an understanding and actual empathy for the people that they're working with.
6: Well, it's it's both and and I let, let's talk that through really quickly, but also let's clarify what we're talking about staffing. We're asking people to be on standby To be ready to work an overnight shift from about 6 o'clock in the evening to about 8 or 9 o'clock the next morning with 24 hours notice, right? That's a pretty tough, that's really hard to get people to staff. So when, especially in this labor market, that's a real challenge. I don't want to take anything away from that challenge because we've got to fix it. But what I do wanna do is embed this in the trajectory that we've been on. Because three years ago, Metro opened its cold weather shelter in an old jail. That was triggering for so many people. Mm. And the transportation system was really non-existent. Then we moved to the fairgrounds as a pandemic emergency. And now we've moved to an even better space that's a really dedicated facility and available for a longer term. Now we have a transportation system that picks people up from all over the city for free and gets them into that space. And we put this all together during a period of a, in the middle of a pandemic crisis. So while we've got to get our arms around that staffing issue and it's real and it's not gonna be easy to solve, We've got to also, at the same time, say we've made a lot of progress in a short amount of time with a lot of headwinds, and that gives me a lot of optimism that some of the ideas that Kathy's going to talk about are really going to pay off. So, again, we're going to we've got to fix it, but we can and we will. If
1: you're just tuning in, I'm Khalil Colona and you're listening to This Is Nashville. We're talking this hour about living in the cold when you're experiencing homelessness. Now, uh, Kathy, I'm definitely going to get to you with staffing, but Alex, I want to jump to you real quick. We talked a little bit about skepticism of shelters in the last segment. From what you've heard so far and your experience, what advice would you give to Kathy and Brian to improve the services that shelters provide?
5: Well, the great thing of it is I'm on the same task force (laughs) as Kathy and Brian. So there's nothing I can really tell them that they don't already know when it comes from me. But what I will say to the public is, they need more help from the city. They need more help staffing. They need more help in just in general, because the way that we're going, we're going in such a positive way in the past three years that I have never seen before the whole entire time I was homeless. And I'm talking about 10 years. I have never seen the progress that we have made, especially in these past seven months, and how we have pushed and pulled and dragged and clawed our way to be where we are today and be accomplished that we are today. So I'm so grateful for Brian and Kathy and Vicky and everybody else that is a part of this task force, that's part of this movement, Because we all know what we have to do. We all will move together as one unit to continue to move forward and continue to change the narrative and change the perspective. So I'm so grateful and so honored to know both these people and to call them my friends and and just so proud in general.
1: I feel you. Like now is not the time to stop any of this progress that was made. And it sounds to me like some progress that was made through emergency due to the pandemic. Continue to move forward with this one unit. But Kathy, Brian said you have some ideas. I and our audience are interested in hearing them. Let's get into it. What are some of your ideas to improve, particularly staffing these facilities?
7: You know, it's not, it's really not just my ideas. Um, Vicki has come to the shelter committee meetings. Both Alex and Vicki are on, um, on the task force. And, and I work with a lot of outreach workers that are actually out there doing the jobs, um, like Tasha interviewed. Um, so what we really need to do is think outside the box. Right? We don't need to look at one source for the staffing, nor does there necessarily, and I'm talking in the future, have to be one location for a shelter. Mm-hmm. As the city grows, other cities have set up different, like we have the bus, we have the stops for the, the mobile transportation, that we could set up different geographic locations for these shelters. Um, the other possibility is instead of having, putting everything on Metro, right? Metro needs to run the shelter, Metro needs to pull from their staff. As Alex told you, most of the people they see daily are the outreach workers. What if we were able to provide funds in the form of an RFP from Metro to some of these nonprofits so that they could have enough staff that they could flex and do um, overnight shelters also, right? Mm -hmm. And so the same people would see the people they've been working with. So we always talk about a housing first philosophy, right? And we've mentioned that a few times. And, and that is the most important thing, that permanent supportive housing be built. We're not talking necessarily about workforce, you know, $1,000, $800 a month in rent. We're talking about supportive housing with services very close, like neighborhood health, um, you know, like a social worker to help people that transition into that housing. But shelter is the first step in going to a housing first. It's where we engage with the people who have been chronically homeless. And we start bringing them back to the community with these social workers and these outreach workers they've developed trust with. You know, we give them hope because we start connecting them to IDs, um, to their birth certificates, right? So many people haven't even ever seen their birth certificate, um, to resources like food stamps or healthcare, um, and then housing navigation. So ideally, shelter should be something that people move into and then move out to to housing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the first thing it needs to do is keep the people alive. Um, and, and that's what we're looking at is, is um, you know, we'd like, you know, RFPs, and we're going to have a retreat as soon as this shelter season's over, March 31st. Um, I would encourage the public to join the continuum of care. Anybody can belong to it. I know I have different members of the public coming to my shelter meetings. It is always helpful to have other people's perspectives.
1: And I'm really glad that you mentioned the public because in your idea of having uh, different facilities across the city, a lot of times when an initiative like that is proposed, nimbyism, not in my backyard happens. People, they worry about the problem, but they necessarily don't want to be a part of the solution. So I'm really happy that you mentioned that, you know, but... Shelter may be the first step. It's a long one. And we've been talking about shelters and transportation. Alex, what other cold weather resources are there right now for those of us experiencing homelessness?
5: Well, that's more of a question for Brian and Kathy. I can only talk about from the personal experiences. Mm
6: -hmm. So you might want to pass that question to them. Brian? Brian? Well, we're happy to. And, and Alex is being modest. Because, uh, his contributions in the task force are fantastic. And one of the things that I, I think we, we want to talk about are as we move through this, the people that are can be served, as Kathy mentioned, in this overflow shelter it doesn't take anything away from the fact that the, the mission is available every day without a break. So they're there seven days a week. Um, 365 days a year. And Room in the Inn is also available starting in November and ending uh, as, the, as we close out the shelter season. So we've got uh, we, we've got a, a pretty big infrastructure and if you need shelter tonight, those are the places that you can go. There are other specialty housing providers that serve our community. There are special, uh, Safe Haven does work with families. There's also Salvation Army and, and so on and so forth. But if you start at the mission and you start at Room in the Inn, then we can connect your specific needs or your specific circumstances to the most appropriate shelter provider. But we always start with the mission and then room in the inn. And that's why, you know, speaking as a healthcare provider, Neighborhood Health has a co-located clinic at the mission. We've got a, a clinic next door to room in the inn and we wanna continue to expand services. And we're not alone in this. All of us are trying to do everything we can to bring services to where people are. It's been a magical moment to be able to do that over the course of the pandemic with the new street medicine program. We're working closely with these other organizations and we wanna make sure that we take care of these needs.
1: Kathy, in your view, what needs to happen next for this city?
7: Um, I think we need to look at these suggestions of Michael and Alex, I I mean, I'm sorry, of Vicki and Alex, I was was looking at a name on the screen there. Um, I think that, and Terry also, um, I would like to see the shelter system become more user-friendly. I would like to see it connecting people to resources and to having outreach workers in there, putting people in a database system called HMIS, which is the first step to housing. Um, I think it needs to go geographically located. I think that pulling people in at 7 p.m., pulling them out at 7 a.m. Um, can waste a lot of energy and time on everyone's part. So I would like to see it going geographic. And I would like to see the nonprofits taking back the shelter system with it being funded by the city. Um, I think Vicki has a great idea with some transitional housing as far as these pallet shelters. And I know they talked about that in Metro. Um, They actually have some pallet shelters for COVID quarantines over at the mission. Um, I don't know that that's a bad idea. I have personally never been okay with sanctioned campsites Mm -hmm. only because I think then that it gives people a reason to forget about building housing and and no one should have to live in a, in a, in a campsite in like, weather like this or in 28 degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we always need to keep our focus on housing. But if, if we have pass through places that are just transitional where people can stay out of, the cold, and it moves us towards the permanent supportive housing, I'd be willing to look at that.
1: All right, Brian, you have about 30 seconds left, I'm sorry to do this to you, but can you tell me, you've been a part of a lot of changes, what do you think needs to happen in the next four years?
6: Well, two things. Number one, we need to follow the example of Austin and a number of other cities where they've given hundreds of millions of dollars from their American Rescue Plan funds and put that into housing. We've got to have leadership in Nashville that makes that commitment. And the second thing we've got to do is we've got to start taking public health seriously. One example is we've got to make sure that our Hospitals in Nashville aren't discharging people with homelessness who have COVID and giving them a bus ticket. That's happening far too frequently. We've gotta make it stop. And we've gotta have a solution for those hospitals and for the people that
1: are affected. That's Brian Hale, Director of Neighborhood Health. We're also joined in this segment by Kathy Jennings, Director of the Contributor and Outreach Worker, Alex Smith. Thank you all for being here, really appreciate it. That's it for today, everyone. I hope you all can stay warm. Again, you can text Nashville Winter one word to 84483 to Metro's Extreme Cold Weather Overflow Shelter. You can listen back to today's episode at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Catherine Ceces and the featured past content produced by Tasha A. of Lemlin. Our board operators, Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are L'Aranja and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And I mean it. Be good to each other.